553. 553 things that I have tried to control my wife's alcoholism and love her to sobriety. 553 things I've tried. Sent her about a dozen songs. And each song I sent, I had full expectation she would stop drinking. Full expectation she would stop drinking with each song I sent her. Ladies and gentlemen, I have cured alcoholism by sending a song. We no longer need AA anymore. We no longer need Al-Anon. We no longer need rehab centers. I have found the cure to alcoholism by sending my wife a song. It didn't work. Center a couple dozen inspirational quotes. They're inspirational quotes. They're going to inspire her to stop drinking. She's going to put the bottle down because I have sent her inspirational quotes. They're not going to inspire her to stop drinking. They should just call them quotes. Shouldn't call them inspirational quotes. Send a couple dozen of those to her with each time an expectation she would stop drinking. They all fail too. Four family interventions. One time with the kids, one time with their parents, one time with their friends, one time with their siblings. Who wouldn't want to be a better wife and better mother, a better daughter, better friend, a better sibling? Of course the family interventions are going to work. And they were powerful, especially the one with my two kids. They were powerful. Thirty seconds later, after our meeting with the kids, caught her drinking. Thirty seconds after the most powerful family intervention with our kids. 30 seconds. Oh, I would have some productive conversations. Really, really productive conversations. And my productive conversations were good. Each productive conversation got better and better and better. Had about 200 of those. 200 productive conversations. And each time I had my productive conversation, I had full expectations she was going to stop drinking. You know, I would try everything. Crying, begging, pleading, judging, shaming, anger, silent treatment. Threats, ultimatums. Some of my productive conversations were so good. They were so good. I use all those behaviors in the same conversation. I really would. They were productive. They were really productive. All 200 of them. They were really good. They were really, really good. Yeah, all 200 of those failed too. All 200 of those failed too. I know. I know. Send her to rehab and IOP. You know, she's like a car. You know, you bring your car to the garage and the mechanic fixes it up and comes out and it's all shiny and new and the problem's broken. Okay? That's what we need to do. Get her into rehab. Get her into IOPs. You know, bring her in. They'll, you know, tighten a few screws, loosen a few bolts, put some WD-40 on it, some armor, armor all, and out she'll come. And we can live a normal life. Thank God. That's going to be all behind us. Yeah, about eight of those. Those didn't work either. Those didn't work either. Well, if I can't love her to sobriety, maybe I'll just control her. Maybe I'll control her. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll put, I'll watch her like a hawk. Babysitter. That's what I want to do the next 50 years of my life. Babysitter. Okay? That's what I want to do. Put a lot of rules in place. No alcohol in the house. Yeah, no alcohol in the house. Take away your keys. Get a breathalyzer. Have all sorts of rules. Can't go to the grocery store by yourself. Or go to a restaurant. Someone's got to go with you to the restaurant so you don't stop by the bar and take shots. Yeah, about 50 of those, 50 of those. All those failed too. All 553 things I tried failed. I failed. You know, someone, you know, you think you learn after the first 50, 100, 150, 200 things you try, you learn. Not me. It took me 553 things to try to figure out 
I have no power and control, and I cannot love her to sobriety. Cannot. Cannot. They all failed. Well, I guess they all were successful in one thing. They all took my peace, happiness, and serenity, ripped away from me. All 553, because each thing I tried, I had full expectation. Full expectation, which led me to 553 resentments. 553 resentments, which just took everything out of me. And the reason it ended at 553 is because on December 19, 2018, I hit my rock bottom. I hit my rock bottom after trying number 553. My wife was uh, in her second rehab. Um, she had done a rehab uh, stint about 10, 12 months prior to that. It's a 30-day program, Palm Springs. Um, and she came out, and she was great. It almost like rekindled our, our marriage there for a good four months. I mean, she was really good. Best I've seen her in a long time. Best I've seen her in a long time. But after about four or five months, uh, I noticed some changes. I'd ask her if she's drinking, and believe it or not, she lied to me. I didn't know that was part of the disease. Got manipulated, deceived, all that fun stuff, because that's, you know, more enjoyable than the alcoholism itself. So that happened for three months, and, this, and she just spiraled down the black hole, and I spiraled down, chasing her down the black hole, um, until she, she, her life, my life, her family's life became unmanageable. So uh, I wasn't going to make the same mistake uh, with the next rehab center. I was going to find the best of the best. So I did a lot of research, and I found one out in Malibu where Dr. Phil sent us patients. Well, if Dr. Phil can send his patients there, well, uh, he can fix my wife then for sure, right? I'm Dr. Phil. I mean, he's sending his patients there. We're not going to do 30 days. No, 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 no. We're going to do 90 days. We're going to do three months of of rehab, all right? So she went kicking and screaming. Oh, no, no. Dr. Phil sends his patients here. You're going you're to go here. This is going to fix you. We're going to live our, our lives happily ever after, after you come out of Dr. Phil's facility. You know, this is this is what we need. This is what we need. What I didn't realize was, and I had forgotten the 30 days was tough enough being uh, home alone um, with the family, but three months was really hard, really hard. I mean, I had all the household responsibilities. We had a paralyzed dog that needed um, uh, special care. We had, I had three jobs. I was working. Uh, I had to do all the groceries, all the shopping, all the laundry. I mean, it was it was overwhelming uh, for 30 days. Now I was going to do it for for three months. Going to do it for three months. But hey, it's Dr. Phil's you know place, so it's going to work. So take her out, screaming and hollering out to Dr. Phil's facility or wherever he sent his patients. And this Malibu place is gorgeous. I mean, it is gorgeous. The rooms were gorgeous. It had a pool with a panoramic ocean view, pampered breakfast, lunch, dinner. She got to go to the beach. She got to go horseback riding. She got to go bowling, miniature golf. I mean, it was just an oasis. It was just phenomenal retreat. But I was at home. I was home for 90 days, 90 days, three months. Three of the worst months of my life. They were the three worst months of my life. And the two um, that stick out the most over those over those 90 days was I had to take my uh, daughter up to college. It was her second year of college. And um, we had to get her dorm room ready. And um, we're, she needs flower bed, flower, flower pattern bed linens. Flower pattern bed linens, something like that. Not my specialty. 
Um, so we go to Target, and we're in Target, and we're shopping for flower pattern bed linens. And um, I look around, a lot of students all getting ready, and it's all moms with their child, all moms. There might have been a few dads there, but the dads were only pushing the cart. But it was all moms. I don't know if my daughter saw, and as I've come to learn, children pick up on things that you're not aware they, they picked up on. Um, but I had a lot of self-pity over those three months, and that was a big self-pity, seeing all the students with their mom and my wife and my daughter's mom is in rehab in Malibu, probably at the beach or horseback riding on the beach or God knows what, having a, having time without a care in the world of what's going on in the household, it seemed like at the time. Um, the other th- part I remember is my son um, was a freshman in high school. Just what I uh, envisioned when I got married, to have a freshman teenager in high school and your wife's in rehab. Um, but uh, that was how our family was. She was in rehab while he's a teenager freshman, and teenagers are teenage boys as they will be. But about halfway through the first semester, he suffered a severe concussion and was out of school for six weeks. The absolute last thing I could have on my plate was my son at home for six weeks needing special care. I didn't have time. I had three jobs. I had all the bills. I had all the household chores. I had my daughter up at way of college. I, I didn't have time, six weeks, to care for my son. But obviously, that was the number one priority, so I had to take care of him, and my job suffered, and my life continued to spin man- unmanagedly out of control. But there was light at the end of the tunnel. My wife was going to get out in early December. She was going to be fixed. The car was going to be new. We would never have this worry of alcoholism ever again. She was in Dr. Phil's rehab center. Okay, so she's going to get fixed. There was no doubt in my mind. She was going to come out sparkling new. So she, um, she came out and, um, December 9th, and uh, at that time, uh, I was going to make sure she was never going to drink again. I was going to babysit her. I was going to watch her like a hawk. I was going to have rules. I had all these rules in place. Our place was spotless of bottles. There was not a bottle in the in the place to find. Because um, over the course of her alcoholism, I had become a professional bottle finder. I'm certified in everything in professional bottle finding. Um, I am. I can show you my license. Um, I could find a bottle anywhere. I had become really good. And, and I really, I, I look back on it and I, I, um, I look back at my childhood. My parents used to hide Easter eggs over Easter and I was really good at finding Easter eggs. So that training as a youth really helped me on in my uh, wife's alcoholism to help find bottles because I was really good. She has some good hiding places, but because of my youth training and Easter egg hunting, um, I was really good at finding bottles. So before she came home, that place was spotless. There was not a bottle. There was definitely not a bottle, not a bottle in there. So place was place was uh, spotless. And every day she was home, uh, you know, I was always looking for bottles. You know, I was watching her like a hawk. She was not going to drink. Nope, 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 nope. I was going to watch her. I was going to do everything right. So um, on December 19th, 10 days out of rehab, three of the hardest months of my life, lifted our mattress, bottle of vodka. 
10 days. 10 days. 10 days. Are you kidding me? 10 days? Three of the hardest months of my life? You can't even make 10 days? You gotta be kidding me. How is this happening? It's made no sense. It was insane. 10 days after three months at Dr. Phil's rehab center? You're already drinking? How is that even possible? 10 days. Two days before our daughter's coming home from college. A week before Christmas. Very magical time in our house. 10 days. And since um, I like to torture myself, I'd like to be lied to. So instead of just showing her the bottle of vodka, I decide, let me set myself up to be lied to. Are you drinking? Can you believe it? She said no. She did. I thought maybe she said yes. Maybe I'm drinking. No. She said no. She said no. And then I lift the mattress. And I was not expecting what happened next. Not in a million years. Not expecting what happened next. Lift the mattress. I said, oh, well, what about this? And with a smile and a smirk, she says, oh, that. With a smile and a smirk. Ten days being home from rehab. Three of the hardest months of my life. With a smile and a smirk. Oh, that. I don't remember what happened next. I ha- I do not remember what happened next. All I know is I ended up on our bedroom floor completely paralyzed. Couldn't cry. Couldn't speak. Couldn't move. Broken. Broken physically, spiritually, mentally. Completely, utterly broken. No idea how long I was down there. I don't know if it was five minutes. I don't know if it was two hours. I don't know if it was longer. No idea how. I don't even remember how I got down there. It's broken. Completely and utterly broken. Somehow I, I, I gathered, I guess, enough strength. I think I, I remember talking to her sister. Um, and I got enough strength to go. And I took a, took my car and went to a scenic area near her house. Beautiful scenic area. I have no idea how long I was there. No idea. And what happened next, I, I don't know if it was purposely, I don't know if subconsciously, I don't know if it was by accident, but as I'm getting to, ready to leave with my car facing the cliff's edge, I had the car in drive and one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake. Probably less than a split second, but it scared the heck out of me. I don't have suicidal tendencies, I don't have suicidal thoughts, never had them in my entire life. I had a complete breakdown. Hyperventilating. I don't know if it was a panic attack. I don't don't even know what those really are, but it was a complete mental breakdown. Complete. And when I was able to finally gather myself, I'm thinking, what is wrong with me? What is happening to me? One person out of 8 billion people in the world is destroying me that I now have suicidal thoughts possibly? How is that possible? I have so much to be grateful. I have the two greatest kids in the entire world. I have great jobs that I love. I have a nice house. I don't live paycheck to paycheck. I have great friends. I have very good family. How does one person destroy me? It's, it, it makes no sense. It's pure insanity. 
made no sense. But I had nowhere to go. I had no one to talk to. Couldn't talk to my friends, my family. They'd be like, oh, she's drinking again? Duh. Couldn't talk to her friends and family. Sorry, Eric, but you know, it's because of her, what happened when she was young, because of what happened with her job, because of what happened with her physical and her knee and all that. Yeah, that doesn't help me. They were supportive, but lots of excuses that I heard from her too. I had nowhere to go. I tried Al-Anon. I went to like four, five, six meetings. Oh God, good Lord, not for me. I'm not going to do Al-Anon. No way. Do you believe in one of the Al-Anon meetings they told me I had to work on me? I don't work on me? What? Excuse me? I have job. I have the house. I'm doing all the home care. I mean, I'm a great dad. I'm a great husband. Wait, I have to work on me? Are you people insane? You guys go to your cooler and drink your Kool-Aid over there. That's, no, I'm sorry. I do not need to work on me. My biggest vice is I pee in the shower. Okay? That's my biggest vice. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do anything. I have to, you guys are all nuts. This is crazy. Oh, Al-Anon is not for me. No way, I'm not doing Al-Anon. Well, that night I had nowhere else to go. Nowhere else to turn to. Can't go home. So lucky in Los Angeles, pre-COVID, there were, there were a lot of Al-Anon meetings and just happened to find an Al-Anon meeting that night. So I, I went down there and I was already going on with a lot of judgment, a lot of self-pity. No way this was ever going to work. No way. When I got there, there was a big pity potty at the back. It was big. I sat on it. I sat on my pity potty. No one was even allowed near my pity potty. But that was my pity potty. I was judging everyone. I was looking around. Oh, you guys are alling on. And then the guy gets up and says a serenity prayer. God? You believe there's a God? Are you kidding me? There's no God. If there was a God, would this be happening to me? There's no God. Oh my God, and everyone's saying the serenity prayer, and I'm like, oh, oh, you poor fools. There's no God. You guys believe in God? Oh, this is, I, I, I had to leave. I had to go. I just wanted out of there so badly. I had nowhere to go. So I stayed. I stayed. Then a lady, a lady speaker gets up. And she tells her story. Her story is my story. Identified with it. It resonated. I mean, everything. Everything her story told from being a single mom to single parent to the husband going to rehab for three months. I mean, it was identical to my story. And she told Al, Al Anon saved her life. And she saved my life. I don't know her name. Never seen her again. Could be anyone in here, to be honest with you. No idea who she is. She was my angel that night. Because it scares me where I'd be if she hadn't told her story that night, or I hadn't gone that night. She saved my life. And as much as I hated on God, 
as much as I badmouth God, my higher power still sent me here that night. Higher power should not have done that. He should have given up on me. After what I was thinking about God. But he was stronger than me. And he still sent me my angel that night. Told me her story. And her story saved my life. So I committed to Al-Anon. And for the next five months, I was probably the worst Al-Anon member Al-Anon's ever seen. I was horrible. I wanted answers. I've joined Al-Anon. My wife is supposed to get better now. She got worse. I joined Al-Anon, and over the next five months, she gets worse. Not only is she addicted to vodka, all of a sudden I start finding cough syrup all over the house. Cough syrup? Oh my good lord. Cough syrup? Are you kidding me? Cough syrup. And then it became candy, cakes, cookie. We had more ice cream in our freezer than other food. Get to the ice cream and candy and sugar. Then it was vaping. Then Red Bull. I'm in Al-Anon. You're supposed to get better. You're getting more and more addictions. Then she relapses back on vodka, her DOC. And she's in detox. All of a sudden I get a knock on the door. It's UPS with 25 boxes. She has ordered $7,000 worth of goods from the home shopping network from detox. She doesn't even have her phone. How do you order $7,000 worth of merchandise from the home shopping network from detox? It made no sense. This is crazy. I'm an Al-Anon. She's supposed to get better. Oh, my sponsor hated me. He hated me. He absolutely hated me, and I don't blame him. I made amends to him later because then I understood. But So that one didn't work out. I got a new sponsor. I got a new sucker. Um, and so he's in my second meeting. I'm just on my rant. Al-Anon's dumb. You know, Al-Anon's stupid. You know, why isn't it fixing my wife? And he goes, well, what, do you, what don't you like about it? Well, the slogans. The slogans are dumb. Let go, let God, detach with love, stay in your lane. Oh, good Lord, they're terrible. Well, what, what don't you like about them? Well, I'm not going to quit on my wife. I'm not going to stop loving her. No, what about my vows? I, I, I need to, I need to, we need to, ha- she needs to be sober. We need to have our, our life, our family back. Because Eric, that's, that's not what those slogans mean. They don't know what they mean. Then maybe you need to redo Al-Anon, Mr. Mr. Sponsor. No, that's not what those slogans mean. Your wife's smart. Okay? She's well educated. She comes from a good family. Okay? It's her life. It's her disease. It's her lane for her to figure it out. She's smart enough. She doesn't need you to control it. Tell her which way to go. Tell her what to do. To have power over it. It's hers. It's hers to figure out. You can still love her, but do it from your own lane. You can still support her, but do it from your own lane. Get out of her lane. Let her fix and figure it out. And in one of the most amazing moments of my entire life, including the birth of my two kids, the whole weight of the world gradually came off my shoulders. It's like 7,000 pounds 
I was like, whoa, what was that? Sponsor leaned back in his chair, folded his arms, big smile, and goes, that's our aha moment. I like, I like that a lot. Can we do that again? He goes, you'll, you'll have more of those. You'll have more of those. From that day, my recovery, my healing program went ballistic. I dove into Al-Anon. I dove into CODA. I dove into codependency. I dove into people-pleasing. I dove into the ego. I dove into assertive communications using I statements. I dove into people-pleasing. I was addicted. This started happening over COVID, so I actually had a lot of time to really, really put the hard work in on me. And boy, did my program take off. Completely changed me. Complete transformation of who I was to who I I am today. You know, I talk about that aha moment. There are a couple other aha moments that that stick out in my journey, in my my program. And and both aren't really even related to my wife, but more related to who I am today. Um, One of the next aha moments was um, I was at my office, and uh, I like to hold doors open for people. Even if they're far away at the elevator, I I hold the door open for them. And if someone didn't say thank you when I held the door open for them, that, that really, that was a, that was a pet peeve of mine. And I would hold a grudge probably for the day, a week, a month, the rest of their lives. Um, I really would. So one day, um, I don't know, a couple years ago, I'm in, when I'm in my program, I hold the door open. Guy walks through, doesn't say thank you. I walk in, take a few steps. Didn't bother me. Whoa. That's weird. Why didn't that bother me? Obviously, it has to do with something of this transition I'm going through as a person. So I remember sitting down in the, the office lobby, and I'm starting to analyze, starting to do some self-inventory. Okay, why did that used to bother me a lot no longer bothers me? And then I realized, it was a tough aha moment, that when I held the door open for someone, I was manipulating them. They owed me something. They owed me Acknowledgement of being a good person. They owed me validation of being a good person. It wasn't their choice I held the door open. I held the door. It was my choice. But because of my choice, they owed me something. Yuck. I don't like that aha moment. Here, this whole world time, I thought I've been a nice person, nice guy. And all I've been doing is actually manipulating people to validate my fragile ego. Okay, that's not a good aha moment. So I started doing a lot of self-inventory on that. Where else have I done this in my life? Then the then then the difficult one. I was manipulating my son. I would make him dinner almost every night, and um, when he's a teenager, and whenever he would act out or do what normal teenage, usually for a teenage boy, he's probably on the mild side, um, but whenever he act out, I always told him he was ungrateful for all the dinners I'd make, and um, I realized when I made my son dinner, he owed me an eval- a validation that I was a good father. 
Ah, it was my choice to make him dinner. Yet, with that, he owed me. That's what I realized in my next aha moment. I was manipulating my own son. I wasn't making him dinner unconditionally. I was making him dinner on the condition that he would acknowledge me as a great dad. I didn't have any malicious intent. I didn't have any preconceived ill will, narcissistic behaviors towards that. But it was an aha moment that was very disturbing. And I realized that I was not healthy. I was dysfunctional. And uh, about a year ago, maybe a little longer, I was making him dinner. And he came and said thank you like he always does. And I said, no, thank you for letting me make you dinner. Whoa, what did I just say? Thank you for letting me make you dinner. I was making my son dinner unconditionally. He didn't owe me. He didn't know me for my choice to make him dinner. I was no law. No longer manipulating my son. I was doing it out of love. And I felt good. I felt really good that transition in me, that Al Anon, all my hard work had done for me, not only as a husband, but as a father, as a coworker, as a friend, as a son, as a stranger. That's what all my hard work did. Completely transform me to someone completely different. Someone completely different. And today, I have more happiness, more serenity, more peace. Not only in my entire life, but that I could even imagine I could ever have. You know, there's often the talk of the, the, the caterpillar to the cocoon to the butterfly. For my journey, it's been more like a slug stuck in earth's mud and sludge to probably being in a cocoon a lot longer than even my wife's severe alcoholism, but definitely that threw me into a, a tailspin where I didn't know which way was front, back, up, down, forward, sideways, backwards. That cocoon spun out of control. My life has spun out of control. To Al-Anon and my self-healing recovery program, slowing the cocoon down, to where I hatched. And today I feel like a butterfly. I really do. I really do. I flutter to the flower I want to go to. I stay away from the crap on the earth because that's where my, that's where the gravity keeps trying to pull me. But my butterfly is strong and it doesn't get dragged down there as much as it used to. It allows me to flutter where I want to go, when I want to go, and stay away from the crap on the bottom. I feel like a butterfly. I really do. That's what Al-Anon and my self-healing program has brought me, like a butterfly. And I have so many things to thank for where I am today and this transition that, that happened to me from the sponsor that helped me with the slogans to Al-Anon having a program already built. Thank, thank you, Lois, for setting a program with already guide instructions really to follow. To my angel, the lady speaker that night, saved my life. Saved my life that night. 
to my higher power. Never gave up on me. Should have. Should have. But never gave up on me. The hardest one to thank is my wife. It's really hard. She's still struggling. She's my ex-wife now. She's still struggling. I'm still her friend. But if she doesn't have her disease and doesn't struggle, doesn't relapse 10 days after three months in rehab, I'm not here today. I don't know where I am. Maybe I am over the cliff. But she saved my life. Her severe alcoholism saved my life. And it's hard to tell her that because she's still struggling. You know, she's still the mother of my kids and it's hard to tell her that. Hopefully one day she'll find her healing. Uh, she is 80 days sober. I will say that. She is seemed to be doing better. Um, which I hope for my kids and I'm still her friend. But the one I thank the most, the one who has allowed me to get here, is me. I put the work in. I worked it hard. I worked myself healing hard. And obviously without all the other opportunities that were given to me, if I don't put the work in, all that matters for none. I thank me. My hard work. I deserve this. I've earned this. I'm worthy of this. Not something I could have said a few years ago. But I put the work in to get to where I am today. And because of my work, because of my program, because of everything I've done, I'm the last number that I will ever try to control, not only my ex-wife's alcoholism, but anyone, the last number that I'll ever do to have power control over someone else's lane is 553. Thank you, everybody.